0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Eating Crow with Pete Durand. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Eating Crow podcast. I'm lucky to have Corey Carlson on the program with me. Corey's obviously very well read if you're watching this. He's got like a 1,000 books behind him, including his own. Hey, Corey. How are you doing today? I'm Thanks doing very great. much for having me. So uh, this will date the podcast for people that are listening to it, but Corey was at the Chiefs-Bengals game yesterday, which turns out to be one of the most amazing football games there is, with your son, correct?
1: Yes, it was incredible. So he's a huge Chiefs fan. I, I know about every kid's a Chiefs fan right now. You've got Mahomes and, and Kelsey there. Mm-hmm. But I grew up in Kansas City, so... My parents live there, my brother. So we, we've been going to Kansas City a while. So he definitely has been brainwashed to be a cheese fan. And then we got the invite to do cheese and bangles yesterday. And it
0: was an unbelievable experience. Yeah. We uh my son-in-law got me hooked on the NFL ticket. So we have the red zone and uh I it, it's like an ADD to ADD way to watch football, right? There's no commercials and it's like six hours of highlights. <laughs> One guy talks for six hours and takes you back and forth to the games. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. It's probably a good thing I don't have that because I don't think I'd get off the
0: couch. Yeah. Well, fortunately, the rest of my family kind of just goes in and out while we're doing things, but you always, it's always like somebody's stopping to stare. So, Corey, I I, I received your book. And again, I'm going to hold it up here for folks that are watching, but it's, it's called Win at Home First. And we're going to drill into why you wrote it. Right, And I know you speak about this topic and winning at home. And when I saw the title of the book, it resonated with me. It's something I've always tried to do. I've been successful at times and and done poorly at times. I think everybody struggles with it. But for you to sit down and write a book and make it your mission and your mantra, and I, I know you speak about this. You have a consulting company that helps people and executives. And part of your story is you hired a leadership coach to help you during a period of time in your life. And it had such an impact that you thought, this is going to be my calling. So walk us back to that period of your life where you were kind of a a fast running executive and said, I need some help, which by the way, congratulations, a lot of people wouldn't think of doing that. So what drove you to hire a coach and what did you learn?
1: Yeah, well, thank you. Well, part of the reason I made the phone call to get a coach is because I tried to do it on my own and mm-hmm. failed. Yeah. And you know to go a little bit earlier on in my career and kind of going straight to e- eat crow out of the gates when I was in my you know twenties I was having a successful career. I was a civil engineer working for an engineering firm you know in my twenties trying to move up the ladder and and they were accommodating they were doing mm-hmm. what they could, giving me assignments put me in a leadership development program to I remember one of these leadership development programs, I was the youngest person by a decade in this. I mean, so they were doing their part. But the interesting thing, you know, Peter, is it wasn't fulfilling the void in my heart that really, quite honestly, you know, only God can fill. But I didn't Mm -hmm. know that at the time. And so I was, you know, trying to pursue career to do everything. And when that wasn't working, then, you know, I basically was taking my questions of who I am, who my worth is to my spouse, which is unfair to Mm -hmm. any human to do. And so when that wasn't working, I was like, well, let me, you know, maybe, maybe another woman could be that answer. And, and unfortunately, I, I made a poor choice of, of having an affair and early in my marriage. And I, I didn't get caught a few years later. I came clean of it. It's a whole nother story. Mm-hmm. But what ends up happening and how an executive coach gets involved is about 10 years ago, I'd been transferred from Kansas City to Denver and then to Cincinnati, which is now where I live. So I'm in Cincinnati. I'm VP of a $120 million division. And I noticed my identity is going back to work again, like it did in my twenties. And so if I had a good day, I thought I was the man. If I had a bad day, I thought I was going to get canned. I was you know, skipping time with, with my family. I had my laptop on my lap you know, in the family room. I was doing all these different things. I'm like, I, I, no, I can't do this. I, I can't mm-hmm. do this again. The last time I- did something stupid, took you know, my my challenges to outside my marriage. I'm not doing that this time. So I called my boss who I loved and I just said, you know, Tom, I, I need help. And we travel all the time going different directions. He's like, hey, get an executive coach. I've always had one. I was like, well, thanks. I wish you would have told me sooner. Anyway, so I did. I hired an executive coach and man, we worked on the work-life balance. And there's so many pieces I learned that made me a better father, a better leader, a better husband. And what was interesting, Peter, is I started taking the content I was learning and just turning it around and applying it to the team I led. I took one more corporate move where I was president of sales for a national contractor and I started doing the same thing. And what I found is the team I was leading, I had 30 sales guys throughout the country, it became for them purpose over profit. But what was amazing is our profitability for the company, our EBITDA improved. So as I started to think, I was like, wait, if my life got better using these tools and principles, I had now have basically coached within the corporate environment individuals and it got better. I want to do this for a living. I want to go figure out how to help people realize that they can win at both work and home. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It could be both. Yeah. And instead of just helping these 30 individuals, I want to go help 300, 3,000, 3 million. And so that is
0: the the journey I'm on. And when you left that role to make that leap, which is a big leap, right? Leave a a steady income to go and build a consulting practice. and, And you have this vision and it's mission driven, right? This is a mission driven cause. You didn't say, I didn't hear at any point in your conversation, I think I can make a lot of money doing this. You said, I want to go help people. So you wake up on your first day, you got this this practice, and you figure out I got to make a living. Is that when you started five? Kind of got five capitals, and then you've got you know your podcast, and then you've got the connector consulting. How do these all play together? How do you how do they participate in in your ability to help as well as to support your family? So five capitals
1: is the organization that I'm certified through to do the coaching through. That's who yeah. I hired my first coach. I've had a few coaches over you know, the last decade. But the one that's been consistent is the founder of Five Capitals. His name's Brandon, and he is who I hired. And I talk to him every week, wow. if not a few times a day. But even though I'm a coach, I still need to be poured into and the accountability, the outside perspective. That's the Five Capitals component of it. But when I wanted to leave corporate, I was slow to leave corporate. Even though I just, you know, shared the reasons of the things I want to do, I was scared. I mean, I'm the sole provider for our family. My by design, my wife stays at home with the kids. I've had a, a great salary. Insurance was paid for. And so it was slow to leave corporate because, well, one, the the security, or so we think we have security when we work for a company, but there's some identity that was tied into it. Where I was president of sales and what well, wow, what a big fancy title. And you know, made you know, great income. I didn't want to go be making, you know, way less than I've ever made below totem pole. So there's some identity pieces. And over a course, of I'd say probably about, oh, nine months or so from when I had this idea, I want to coach to when there was actually a, a pivotal moment that took place where I got terminated from this corp- this job, right? So there goes the idea of security and safety, Sure. But we, we were owned by a private equity group that we went to go and have a company sale. It fell through. And, you know, as you know with business, when it goes through a company sale, well, now you're known as a retrade and no one wants to buy you. It's, it's, it's worse than a home inspection gone bad. It's, <laughs> it is no one wants you. So yeah. when private equity group knew that, they wanted to basically downsize and just is basically all about profitability and EBITDA. So when that took place, I got terminated out had a four-month severance package. Okay. And I that was the clarity I needed just before I got terminated on a Monday. It's an August 15th. And the day before we got terminated, I this is stress of what do I do? I want to do I want to go do coaching. I want to help others, but wait, I gotta have this corporate salary to pay the bills and, mm-hmm. and all those pieces. And I want clarity. So that Sunday, my wife and I participated in a fast our church was doing, and we, you know, prayed and and I just declared, "Hey, this is I want clarity on my job." So that next day, when I got terminated, the, I still remember the wow, COO and the and the CEO basically as they terminated me said, hey, "You seem like you're doing great, Corey." I was like, "I am. I want a clarity. This is the clarity I got, and here's my four months package to go hustle." Yeah. So over those four months, I did just that. I was able to put together 50% of my income through coaching. And then the other 50% did with, with uh, help with sales and marketing for a company here in Cincinnati. Nice. And then over a course of a couple of years, that 50-50 went down to 75-25, then 90-10, and then eventually to 100% coaching, 0% helping the other company. Nice. So anyone listening that's thinking about making a jump, I mean, there is something to be said about Staircasing it, there's no reason to jump all in if you can't I mean if you have the financial luxury to do that, then go for it, but if not, you know it's it, 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 swallow your pride that it has to be an all or nothing situation
0: you know you, you hit on a couple of interesting things, and I know I've struggled with this as well that identity part right where you're a CEO or a president or a big title in a company and you go to be the the owner. Chief cook, bottle washer, toilet cleaner of a company with no income, your work identity, but also your home identity, right? As a provider and things, those are things a lot of people struggle with. And it takes a lot of teamwork, right? I mean, your your family and your your spouse have to understand what this is going to be like and some probably some choices during that transition time that have to be made. But once you gear down and find who your customer is, it's extremely rewarding when you're running your own practice or your own business. Got to get up every day and grind, but you also get up every day and choose what you're going to do, which is pretty, pretty empowering.
1: Yeah, identity is a big piece. And, you know, even in the identity of whether you're a corporate individual or you're a business owner, right? I mean, if you're not careful and if you're taking your identity to your job, that's temporary, no matter what it is. And so it is
0: 100% temporary.
1: You just got to be careful of that. And it's been a thing I've had to grow in. And now as a parent, that's a big part we talk to our kids about. Oh, this is a competitive dancer. Well, I got to make sure her identity is not tied into being a competitive dancer because yeah. when she goes to college, you know, we don't know exactly if she's going to try out to be on a dancing you know, uh, squad for a college or not. We're still talking about all that. But eventually she's going to stop dancing. Mm-hmm. And I can't have her identity tied, you know, encourage her not to have her identity tied to dancing because when that goes away, I don't want her value or worth to go away. So talking about who you are to our kids versus what they do is so critical to the success of setting up our kids, basically for, you know, long-term success throughout
0: their life. Yeah. I, I think Bob, that's really poignant. And for people that are listening and have kids ready to enter their teens, right? Where they start into these, their formative years are earlier, but they really start to shape who they are when they start to get surrounded by other people and other people's parents, right? As soon as your kids go to school, they're being parented by all the other kids' classmates' parents as well. That's right. But when they play sports or they do dance or join theater or any kind of an art, uh, I've always, we've always talked to our kids that school and activities are a way to help you grow as a person and think. They, to your point, they don't define you because at some point you're going to stop playing. But if you can learn how to interact with you know, perhaps somebody on the dance team who doesn't exactly get along or feel the same way you do and you still have to perform together, that's a really good lesson because that's the same thing as work. It's the same thing as friendships and everything. And by the way, competitive dance. I have some friends that are, that is, that's serious.
1: It is. We've got the first competition of the year is this upcoming weekend. So we got a solo and team dances and duet. I mean, it's, it's, it's on.
0: Nice. Well, we've got a friend whose daughter's in the New York city ballet. Wow. Yeah. She's uh that's a whole different level. Um, that, that, that is. And I think the toll it takes on your body is also something you need to be paying attention to as well. Yeah. So, Corey, let's step back a little bit and talk about this book. So you you kind of described, and by the way, we have some guests who come out with their eating crow moments at different points in the podcast. You kind of set that stage, right? Those are some pretty serious things that some serious plate of crow that you had to swallow and eat and get your family through. When you started the business, at what point did you realize, I've got a book here, right? I think I've got a book that I can capture and give people a a guideline. And other thing I'm going to stress for those people listening to this, if you haven't considered coaching or therapy or someone to talk to, you use the word accountability, you really need to. Um, That accountability piece is, and you have to have somebody who's going to be really honest with you, right? And hold you accountable. So as you went through your leadership training with these other folks in you know, how did the book come into play? I mean, when did you start to write it and kind of take notes and get prepared to do that?
1: Before I go there, you made a comment about for the listeners consider coaching. And I hired a coach myself, as I told you, I've done mm-hmm. that a few different times over the last decade. And I did about 18 months ago. And this individual said, Hey, call all of your existing clients and ask them why they stick around. And so I, I did just that. I called them all and I was so surprised and I I shouldn't have been, but it's, eh, they all said either number one or number two was the reason that they hire me is for accountability, which you mentioned an outside perspective. Leadership's lonely at the top. And so you can't go confide everything in about your business with your spouse, with your coworkers because some of it is you're navigating yourself outside perspective accountability and I was like well what about the spiritual element they're like that's nice I've, I've grown in my faith well what about the idea of winning at home first you know well i'm a better you know parent and spouse so it was just it was eye opening because so if you are listening and whether you hire me as a coach or somebody else i just encourage you uh, to get help there one thing i say so often in coaching is hey, you're not the only one That's experiencing this. I mean, so many people are have decision fatigue of everything we've had to work through these last eighteen months with COVID and vaccine and work from home. It's it's tiring, and so for leaders to know that they're not alone has been so helpful and a confidence boost to to many folks.
0: You know, I think it's interesting you mentioned that you were a bit surprised at the reaction of the responses you received, and I. I was able to participate in a program called Bell Leadership here. Uh, my company actually sponsored myself and our leadership team going, thought we could work better together. And they do, in a sense, a, a pretty extensive 360, right? So my team rated me in all sorts of different categories and we rated each other And some pleasant surprises where it looked like I surrounded myself with people who addressed my weaknesses, whether that was conscious or unconscious, that was a good thing. But the things that they rated me high on and the things that rate, they rated me low on were exactly the opposite of why I thought they would be. I wow. was shocked. I said, I thought I really crushed it in these areas. They think I suck at them. <laughs> 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 and the areas I, th- I thought I was really poor, they really like and want to see more of. And that was shocking to me, to your point. I That outside perspective and really look, I still have that report. I look at it every once in a while to remind myself of, hey, you you know, don't drink too much of your own Kool-Aid because you can't you're just missing some things. Yep. So when you started to get their feedback, is this when you started to think to yourself, there's a lot here. Is this a book a really kind of a product of the framework you already use? Or how did the book come about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as far as the book goes, I have a coaching framework that I take all the clients through. Mm-hmm. And there were some quiet times that I was having just spending time every morning. And I kept getting these promptings that I should write a book. I should share my story with others. I should put this framework into the hands of just leaders. And if they become a client, great. If they don't, and the book's a helpful resource and I never know them, fine. That's great. That's awesome. And so it's was interesting. I, we talked about identity earlier. As I'm getting these promptings to write a book, I'm like, I'm not writing a book. I'm not an author. I'm a civil engineer by degree. I'm a sales guy for a 20-year career. I mean, that's who I am. I mean, I'm right. not an author. And it just kept happening and this prompting and this weird feeling of needing to share my story. And um, there was a a phrase that I heard, you know, basically when I came clean of my affair of hand over your story for a greater story that started to come back into play. If I I need to share my story with other leaders and to let them know they're not alone and to let them know that they don't have to stay where they're at, there is a way to grow and get better. Well, there's one particular week, I think every single client says, you know what? You should write a book. <laughs> and you know, if, if we don't necessarily hear from God, he'll use other people and wise sure. counsel in our life. And that's exactly what happened. So I started the process of writing the book and it started out with blogs, just putting blogs out there and trying to assemble some ideas of how I write a book. I end up write, hiring a writing coach. Which was a huge, you know, game changer that helped mm-hmm. hold me accountable, helped provide outside perspective to my ideas. Hired a coach and then put it together. Part of the process of that also was taking place is that there was a president of a company that hired me to help with coaching his team, improving culture. Mm-hmm. We we're going to put together the vision, and values of the company, and it, you know, it was a you know, two hundred and fifty plus employee company, so. It was a you know decent sized company that wanted to do some things. And as I'm talking with this president, and it's one of our, it's our very first call that we had done together. I'd gone through the whole kind of interview process, became the the coach for the team. And so it was exciting. And we're on this very first call together, Peter, and he's giving me an update on the company and the growth that they've had and the success they've had and just all, all exciting things. And then ask about the, you know, his kids and his, you know, this is family and, just get a better f- feel for him and who he is. Mm-hmm. And as he started talking about family, the energy decreased. Mm-hmm. And I was already suspicious and thinking, oh, no, you know what's going on? And then I remember him in one of the interview process for me to get the work was you know, he kind of bragged about being married for 25 years. So when we started talking about his spouse, the energy declined even further. I got this prompting to basically ask something, you know, about spouse and I didn't want to because this is the largest contract to date I had had. And I just I didn't want to, but I was like, I got it. I mean, the whole reason I'm in this is to help people when at work and went home. So I basically just said, hey, you hired me to help with vision and values. You hired me to help with culture. We're going to do that. But in order to do that, we also are going to have to address home. Because you have to win a home first in order to have sustainable success at, at work. Is that okay that we do that? And it got quiet. And I was like, oh no, I I just got fired. <laughs> I just got fired from my biggest contract. And he says, Yeah, it's okay. He goes, Every day I drive home, I get a pit in my stomach before I walk in the front door. Wow. Yeah, it's okay. We can talk about it. So we did. And it was an incredible process of talk. You know, you know. I'd say eighty percent of the coaching is we talk business, mm-hmm. but there's twenty percent. It's it's talking about home and your quiet time. and you getting to the gym? Are you going on dates with your spouse? Are you being doing one on one dates with your kids? Like, you know, do you have friends? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. we talk about that, but it, a lot of it's business. But there are there's coaches out there that just ignore the personal side, and and I don't know how you do it. I I just don't. But we started, and so this president myself. Over about 18 month period we talked homework and we saw improvement in all areas, which was which is fantastic. But that whole phrase of "win home first came from this individual wow. of when I said that we have to do it that way. And so that's where the, the title came from. And so anyways, that's part of that story.
0: Well, you know, it it's interesting. When, when you see authors or people write a book, you you really wonder what basis they're writing it from, right? Have they been to a point in their life that would make me understand that they get me, that they've been through something like this? And the fact that you wanted to share your story, which is difficult. it's difficult to rehash it, talk about it again, but it's so important because everyone suffers for something like that to a different degree. But the fact that you asked that person the question, I've bet very few people have been that direct with him. I've always found that, Sincere questioning in times of grief, stress, and whatever are huge relief valves for people. Right When someone loses a loved one, quick side story. I had One of my uh, employees at one of my companies, I was CEO of, I didn't even know the guy. He worked for one of my team members. I never even met him. He was in the field for us. His son was killed the day before he was coming back from Iraq. He was oh, an man. EOD guy. And, he, and by the way, his son's picture was his laptop. I mean, they were best friends, best friends. He was his hero. And I'm in a, in a board meeting and somebody walks in and says, hey, you know, Matt's son, William, was killed in action two days before he's supposed to come home. I said, can you get Matt's phone number for me? And I, I stepped out of the meeting and I called him and I said, Matt, it's Pete Durand. And this is what he said to me. He goes, sir, what can I do for you? And he called me, sir. I've never met him. right? Mm-hmm. I, and, and I said, Matt, first of all, I'm very, very sorry to hear about William. And I said, on behalf of everyone, I just thank you for his service and your service and, and the fact that he's a hero. I said, would you mind telling me about William? tell Mm -hmm. me everything you can about him. You know, why was he cool? Tell me the greatest thing he did. Tell me your favorite memories. And we talked for an hour and I don't think people are in those situations, know what to say sometimes. And just what you did, you knew the question would be uncomfortable, but he's probably very relieved you asked it and it took a while, but you probably opened a door that other people hadn't opened for him. So that's just such a great story.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, well, thanks. Yeah. I mean, I, it, I think it's that idea of getting comfortable being uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and a lot of what I've learned through my own story is—I mean, everyone wants to have this veneer up of who they are, and they've got their strong family and their strong business, and they got life all figured out. You know, the real strength is in vulnerability, and I know vulnerability is a big buzzword now for sure. It's been for a few years, but man, to really that speed of trust is through vulnerability, just talking and being honest and open. And I know there's a time and a place of how how open one is, but not all of us have it figured out. I mean, even with my book title, Went Home First, I wrote a book, Went Home First. If, you know, if I'm not careful, if I don't go on dates with my spouse, we can become roommates just like every other married couple. So we've got to be intentional in our marriage. I've got to be intentional with my kids. And so, I like to share those stories because it helps others grow. And the whole veneer and trying to be the tough guy, that doesn't help anybody.
0: You have two sections of your book that I had noted and scribbled in, and, and you kind of just touched on one. I want to go back to another one as well. But the first one is pursue your spouse. I like that idea, right, of courting them or constantly letting them know that, that you feel this way about roommates is a great description. You become roommates. So when you talk about pursuing your spouse, what are two or three things you can give someone as advice to say this is what I mean by pursue your spouse.
1: Yeah, I mean, pursue itself can have somewhat of a risque it word Sure, itself. Can. people yep. are th- you know people going yep. you know, going right to the bedroom with that thought, you know, out of the gates and I mean there's a lot to do before you can even get to the bedroom um mm-hmm. in the in that standpoint. And I think so many of us we did such a great job pursuing our spouses before we were married. We went on dates, we talked, we asked questions. We had grace for them if they made a mistake. we didn't mm-hmm. hold a grudge. I mean, there was just so many things that took place when all of us were dating, girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever, before they came a spouse, and then when they came a spouse, that all unfortunately declines. Mm-hmm. And we just get kind of this somewhat apathetic in our intentionality in our relationship. So you said two to three things, the two that I spend a lot of time trying to just remind myself, but also just encourage my clients to. Are you dating your spouse, going on one-on-one dates? And many people aren't. Like when I first get a client, we'll start talking about going on a date. It's like, hey, when's the last time you went on a date with your spouse? And it's like, um, uh, I don't know, six months ago or you know, something like that. Oh, you know, we're busy or we have kids or this. And it's like, no, you got to go on a date. You got to sit across the table from them, ask them how they're doing Talk, dream, mm-hmm. and so with some folks, I'll talk about having going on two dates—a a, a love date and a logistics date. And, and the the logistics date is just that—it's talk, schedule. Just go, you know, on Sunday nights, my wife and I will usually have a bottle of wine and we'll talk about the whole schedule for the week. You know, who's mm-hmm. do, who's doing pickup, who's do, doing drop off. This night I'm working late, or I've got a you know a networking event I'm going to, and just talking it out. And then usually at the end of the week we'll revisit it and then see what each other wants for the the weekend. Mm-hmm. We didn't used to do that. We right. used to wing it. Well, winging it gets everyone in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, there's stress, there's tension. That's a big logistics thing. That's a huge thing. The second is just go on a love date. Go talk where you don't have to talk about the kids. You don't have mm-hmm. to talk about the bills. Because you've already took care of that. Now you can talk about just life and dreams and kind of updates for each other. And so that's a lot of fun. And the second that I'll talk a lot about is, you know, how can you serve your spouse? Mm -hmm. And I I love when you talk to older people, you ask them a question, hey, is marriage 50-50? And it's like, no, it's 100-100. And it's looking through what are ways you can serve and uh, selfishly, uh, some listeners are thinking, and as I would even think, if I'm always serving, well, I'm going to run out of time. And it's, but man, it's amazing how it works the other direction. Because mm-hmm. I serve Holly, it's amazing how many things she does for me, serving me back. And so it really washes itself out so well. And and so that that's what helped us. But a lot of times, if we are in a selfish feeling, or we're in a like, well, they didn't do this for me, so I'm not going to do it for them. Man, we just end up kind of treating them like, you know, junk. And, you know, Pete, there's this quote that when I was putting together the book I heard is that uh, I put in there that we value others by their actions, but we value ourselves based on our intentions. And it is unbelievable how true that is. And mm-hmm. the idea that the thought counts, no, that, that that quote's awful. The thought doesn't count. You know, if, if I say I'm going to do something for you, but I don't do it, that thought doesn't count. We need to actually serve our spouses through action.
0: I think it's interesting how you use, the, it's the thought that counts. I've had that discussion with all my kids, right? When they're in a situation where either a classmate or a teammate or somebody is not acting in the way that they would like. So you talk about actions versus, and I said, you know what? It's true. Their actions aren't delivering on what your expectations are, but do you think they're coming from a place or a perspective where that's even coming into play? I mean, they even thinking that way because everybody's raised by someone different. Maybe they're not getting the same lessons or the same coaching. And I said, do you believe their intention was to hurt you? And 80% of the time, their answer is, no, I don't. And I said, that will help you figure out how to treat them back. If you don't believe they actually were intentionally trying to hurt you or anyone else, that's a really important place to think. And maybe you can be that person and through action and, serv- and you know, servitude, you can help them realize what this kind of looks like. And there are times where you know, my kids fail or succeed at that, just like we all do. But it's really in, in, very interesting to describe the words intentions versus actions to yourself. Like we need to hold our actions as the ultimate measure. Like you said, our intentions aren't good. By the way, I, I get up every morning and I pray that I can be a better husband and father and serve my wife better. And I go to bed every night going, shit, didn't do a very good job at that. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really ever quite live up to what I was hoping for that morning, but I get up and try it again the next day. And I think that's really important. You mentioned something else in, uh, in the first chapter, and that's this everyday forgiveness concept. I think back to when you're, you're eating crow moment, and there are people out there who've had something that has really hurt a relationship or something to build back from. You know, Talk about how Holly forgave you, embraced you, and gave you the ability to, to reconnect and rebuild. I mean, I don't know Holly, but man, I mad props already. For her being, you know, I, I married way out of my, way above my station. It sounds like you were very blessed in that, in that situation as well. Yeah. Well, no,
1: I mean, thanks. Yeah, Holly for sure was just uh, it, it's just been incredible, and and I'm very very blessed to have someone who uh, yeah forgave me and puts up with me even to this day. You know, that that forgiveness piece for sure. I mean, as I talk about in the book, and when I had the prompting to to basically come clean of the affair. You know, she, she felt right away that um, just kind of just felt this audible, hey, it's going to be okay. So I at least had that going for me where she had this sense from we're strong in our faith with this, you know, the Holy Spirit just saying it's going to be okay. That's wonderful. And so the, she hung her hat on that. Now I had to show my back to the word actions. I had to show my actions. And so there's a few things that I, that I do and I talk with, you know, different folks about that I was doing that helped build back the trust. You know, for example, cell phones, my cell phone is always up. A lot of people flip their cell phone down. That's a trust factor. Like why, why is the cell phone down? So if, if, you know, you're listening to this and there's this spouse tension that you're having, whether it's, it's an affair or it's been porn or it's been something along those lines. But if the cell phone's up, it's like, it's all there. A text can come through and I'm not scared about a text coming through. And you know, this idea that well, you know, what is in the dark will come to the light, that is that idea of by me showing my phone out and my, you know, Holly knows a lot of my passwords. I mean, all, all that different stuff, because that was out there, trust started to build. Mm-hmm. Because I would ask her, hey, can I go to this happy hour? Even so she's always gonna say yes. Mm-hmm. But by me feeling like I, it was more of a collaborative decision as opposed to a directive mm-hmm. of, I am going to this happy hour for work. It just started to build a trust of communication. We are communicating our schedule through the week. So it was an open mm-hmm. calendar, phone up, all these different things help build the trust for
0: you know, that piece. You know, it's interesting. You've hit a couple of things that a lot of other people who may be listening are struggling with and don't know how to verbalize right? And that trust factor of everybody has something that they're not proud of. And whether it's a secret or it's a habit and or an affair or whatever it might be, the fact that you've said, look, I'm an open book now. This is is it. This is how we're going to build this back is really important. I think the other gift that both you and Holly were given at the beginning of this is the fact that the Holy Spirit told her this is going to be okay. That is huge because a lot of people don't get there for a long time. And then that that trust is really hard to shape. right? If they don't see around the corner and think this is going to be okay and I want to get there, they don't know if it's ever going to be okay. So that, that is really an important aspect of this is if you can have that kind of faith and that kind of hope that this will be all right. When you think about your clients today and, and you're having, an, let's say, an onboarding discussion, Corey, with a new customer, and it's a, a C-level leader, and you ask them about winning at home first, because that is kind of, you've, like you said, you had this one customer and it articulated the book. It gave shape to the strategy. What is the number one thing you hear that people are trying to address?
1: At work or at home or just the overall when they hire me?
0: Overall, when they hire you. I'm yeah. curious. I didn't want to say either one because I'm curious which one comes to the light. Oh,
1: man. It's unbelievable. When, so. When I bring someone on, I have this set of questions that I run through to really, you know, kind of, you know, expose what that felt need is. Is it something that I can help or do I refer them somewhere else? Okay. Because, you know, not everyone I get on the phone with are are we the right fit, both from a chemistry standpoint and a competency standpoint. But for those that it's, it's the right fit, it is, you know, their heart is to figure out how to have success at both places and they're not. They have moments of success at both places. At work, someone it's easy to know if we're winning. There's KPIs, right? There's K- sure. you know, key performance indicators. At home, there's not KPIs. We don't know if we're winning. Or man, we had made some good tracks with our spouse. And now all of a sudden, there's tension. Mm-hmm. Or my teenagers being somewhat rebellious. I feel like I'm losing. And, and so as we have these conversations with people that are onboarding, there's, there's a miss and they want greater balance. And I don't want to, you know, I know some people <laughs> don't like the word balance, nor do I. And even though it's in yeah. my, uh, you know, subtitle, it's, but we know what balance is. And it's this idea that we will recalibrate as we need to of the area in our life that needs some attention. Is mm-hmm. it work? Well, hey, hon, I've got to work late this week because busy deadline coming. Now it's recalibrated back to family. I need to be intentional with my family over the break and to build up a lot of deposits of relational equity and and love with my kids because school's starting back up and Mm -hmm. work's starting back up. But so just having this intentional awareness of where you spend your time. And so a lot of times when people come to me, it's like, I'm not winning in all areas and I need some help.
0: You know, you mentioned my kids being rebellious or... You know, I feel like I'm failing in this area. It's interesting. You and I are both on on LinkedIn and either produce content or read other people's content. And, and there's so much momentum out there about listening and being empathetic to employees and understanding their needs and making sure you're responsive to them. But in a sense, your kids need the same level of attention. But to your point, there's no measurement. People don't necessarily have an attrition or retention statistic at at home. That's, That's right. right. Your kids can't quit. They can't be part of the great resignation. They can't leave and go to another family. You know, mm-hmm. Maybe maybe they can. I mean, maybe my kids are out there being recruited by other families. By the way, there are some families my kids might be willingly voluntarily go, I'm going over there for a while. <laughs> yeah, But that's a big part of it is, is helping parents figure out how to listen to their children in a way that pulls them in versus pushes them away. And it's very, very difficult, especially if we have three kids. All three were very different. My wife has amazing radar. She could literally sense when something was going on with one of the three kids. And we would talk about it before we'd approach them, right? We'd, we'd literally figure out that what's the best strategy? How do they communicate? What do we think they're going to respond to? If I pushed you hard here, they're going to shut down. And over time, we started to figure out when one of them would be willing to share what's going on or when we should just kind of back off and let them work through it on their own. We're so conscious about doing that with employees right now because we can be measured how well we're doing at it, right? But doing that with your family, to your point, is very, very difficult to measure. We could have a separate podcast episode just on that, right? And just right. connecting with your kids and helping them be the best version of themselves. And I think for me, the, the greatest measurement of success as a parent will be is if when my kids have kids, if they want to come visit, do they want to show up and spend time with their parents? Hopefully the answer is yes. Yeah.
1: Man, you know, a few things. You, you talked about at the beginning of the, the podcast about a 360 review. And what I've done in my family and even encourage, you know, some clients and friends to do the same is just an easy 360 reviews. one question. You know, I've done this with you know, my spouse and with my kids is gay kids on a scale of zero to 10, 10 is a perfect dad. Where am I? And it doesn't really matter where the answer is because the next question is, is where the gold is. And so let's just say they say a seven. Let's say they say a four. All right. What do I need to do to move closer to a 10? And it's amazing the feedback that I, I my middle child, uh, Camden, I have a tendency, I get up early in the morning and I flip-flop on my days. Some days I start with my quiet time and I do some writing and then I go to the gym. Other days I go to the gym first and I come back and then do quiet time and writing. Well, what tends to happen is I will come up from doing my quiet time and, and writing, He's basically excited. I mean, things are alive. I've been up for a few hours. I'm ready yeah. to go. Maybe I've you know, got something in my quiet time that's profound. I want to share it with family. Well, my daughter said, how about no coaching or God before noon? <laughs> that was her feedback because I would come up at this high energy level and they weren't there. And so what it did, it rolled, you know, they would roll their eyes. They would get annoyed. Oh, yeah. And so- Pete, I took that feedback and I do my best to actually honor it. And because they've seen me make an effort towards it, I have slipped up for sure a few times, talk, coaching or God before noon, but they got a little more grace for me because they know the other days I really worked to not be so instructional, so coachy before.
0: Sure. So did you have a LinkedIn post with your daughter having a cup of coffee where she was giving you this feedback and you were, I think you did. I remember reading that. And yeah. that might be the reason I reached out to you, by the way, that particular post might oh, have been the reason. Cool. You. Yeah. Cause it resonated. That was
1: actually not that daughter. That was another daughter, but yeah, I, I mean, that's the type of yeah. feedback we need to have an open discussion with our kids, with our spouse. Of, hey, how can I get better? And it has been, it's been awesome. So that is actually my other daughter. And it, you know, it had some similar stuff. You know, one thing you mentioned is you're talking about the parenting and listening to our kids versus how we listen to our employees. A lot of times we don't make room to listen to them. We're just, mm-hmm. You know, we find ourselves, there's a lot of people listening who they're just, they're very, they're dictators at home. It's make your bed, get your homework done, do this as dictators. Then there's this other group that's listening that they aren't there. Instead, they're best friends. Yeah. They want to be the cool parent. They want to be the cool dad, the cool mom. And so everything's a yes. Well, neither one of those work for a sustainable period, right? If you're a dictator, the kids march around like little soldiers And then they go rebel when they get to college and go, you know, buck wild. (laughs) Absolutely. Or if you're cozy and you're saying yes to everything, now we've just raised a bunch of entitled, spoiled kids. Mm -hmm. What we've got to get to as leaders is recalibrating between inviting them into relationship and then also challenging them into responsibility. And Jesus modeled that for us, right? Come and follow me. It's very invitational, but now it's go, Mm -hmm. you know, go and make disciples. So it's very high challenge. And so that's what we've got to do with, you know, with our kids, invite them, go have ice cream, go play, throw the football around, have lots of fun, but discipline, time out, take away the iPad, take away Mm -hmm. the phone. You know, there's got to be
0: this invitation and
1: challenge,
0: relationship and responsibility. Uh, No question about it. I think, uh, you know, when I pray, I pray for three things with my kids. I pray to know what to say, Mm -hmm. how to say it, the delivery, and then when to say it. And I, those three things really hit me because, to your point, right? No coaching or, or God before noon—that's the when, right? <laughs> right? Yep. And and that rolling the eyes response—I laugh at my kids. What I've learned with my kids is, if I really have something, I want to to let say. And by the way, my kids are older, right? Like I said, my kids are out of the house. They're I'm friends now with my two older children as much as I am their parent. And even though my youngest one is still in college, where you know he's grown into a fine young man, so we're probably more friends than we are parents. But I will write them a letter and the title will be, this is a dad letter. No response, no, no response expected. And I know they read it. They might roll their eyes at it. But at some point in their life, it will come back hopefully and serve them if it's been done properly. And my dad was like, my dad was EF Hutton. He never said anything. But when he spoke, you usually wanted to listen. So it was good advice if you if you figure out how to kind of deliver it. Softly or whatever, and and then like you said, there's a fine balance between being their buddy and being their parent. And a lot of people pivot to one end or the other. But I think if you learn to have an open, honest discussion, and my kids are pretty good about telling me what I'm not exactly toeing the line. So you know, I want to be respectful for your time. I I'm going to schedule another one of these at some point because I haven't even passed chapter one yet. And there's so much more for our listeners to learn from this. Your story is fantastic. The fact that you've made this your yoke and your mission is just really. I wish more people with your fire would do the same thing. Thank you. Yeah, it's incredible. And you're, you're obviously a gifted speaker. So uh, I'm sure that when you get in front of a crowd, you have a way of energizing and getting them to leave with some thought provoking action as well. So, well, thank you.
1: It's, it's fun. And, and it's just it's, it's mm-hmm. fun to share tools, resources, ideas that have helped my life and then see it help others that I want to keep going to oh, help folks. Because there's no reason any of us should be thinking we're alone that there's, you know, we can, we, we can together. We could figure out how to win both at work and win at home.
0: I'll, uh, I'll put uh, your information for both the book and your website in the notes of the show as well. But I think I want to close with a couple key takeaways that, that I'm going to drill down more into, at least I know in my life for sure. And, and number one is accountability. I think that reaching out and getting that coach first is something that all of us can benefit from. You're right. When, when you get to a leadership position, there's not a lot of mentoring available. You have to go seek it. You have to go find it. I'm very fortunate. I've got some friends that hold me accountable. My wife certainly does as well. But if you don't have it, seek it out. Just pick up the phone and call a person you respect tremendously, really tremendously. You think they're morally and just ask them, hey, would you mind spending some time with me as I figure this out? Maybe you know a coach. Maybe you'd be willing to be a coach and just go talk with them. You'll find it. It will be very rewarding, right? I think that's great, Corey. And number two is this this forgiveness aspect. Right, I think with your spouse, your children, and yourself, being able to forgive yourself for these mistakes and getting up every day and trying to be better—I think that's just wonderful. Lessons, right? Every day, forgiveness, uh, page one twenty-five in the book is hmm. is one of my favorite.
1: Well, well, thank you. You know, I guess the two comments on that—not that you asked for comments, but two things that just came to mind—is is just to help others. You know, if you do find a mentor, man, really encourage them to challenge you for accountability. I'm a mentor to some people and I'm a coach to others. Mentors, they, they want to be encouraging. And they want to give guidance, but sometimes we need that, the actual challenge. So if you go find a mentor that's not a coach, but they're a mentor, is, is tell them you, you want the accountability piece and really push that way because sometimes mentors want to just you know, provide guidance.
0: And well, you know them. what? That's a great distinction, Corey, and I didn't set that up, but I'm glad you clarified that. There's a difference between a mentor and a coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, the coach has to show you the bad stuff as well as the good stuff in yeah. the mentors. Typically, like you said, sometimes that's just an encouragement role. Mm-hmm. So thanks for clarifying that. I think it's also important. Some, you made the investment, by the way, financially to find a coach.
1: Yeah, well, because uh, coaches show up every yeah. time because yeah. they're paid. Mentors yeah. cancel because they travel and they got jobs, they got their own life. Well, and you and both I, have skin in the game. Yeah, and the last thing I'd say is on forgiveness is you didn't mention to it, but you kind of alluded to it. I tell you, one of the hardest parts for me in this whole journey and I know it is for others, as is forgiving yourself. I carried with me long, the baggage of having an affair longer with me than, I, than Holly did of me having the affair. You know, I did not think I could be a good husband again because of it. How could I be a good father because of it? You know, I've had some financial challenges uh, due to a bunch of real estate investments I made that went south before the, the recession in 2008 that we would battled with for a long, long time. And so there were, there is even forgiveness of, I, I can never be a good business owner because I had these real estate challenges sure. that led to foreclosures and short sales and all this. And so I think so, listeners, whatever you're dealing with, it's forgiving yourself and just releasing that and not carrying that baggage with you every single day to every single meeting, every single appointment, date, whatever it is, and to release that. And so a lot of times when I work with clients, it's to identify what are you carrying with you and let's release it. And we don't have to stay there anymore. And now we can start to move and grow, but we've got to identify it, forgive ourselves and release
0: it. That's a great closing comment right there, Corey. And if that's your biggest takeaway from this podcast is forgive yourself and go find someone else to make it better as well. Thanks for your time. Sure. I'm really grateful we have had a chance to do this and uh, I look forward to finishing the book and sharing it with others. Pete, thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm so grateful our paths have crossed. My pleasure. Thanks for checking out Eating Crow. Like and subscribe so you never miss a video.